the times impose, you know, a response. And, and our responses should be informed by our Orthodox Christian beliefs. The Orthodox Christian beliefs are not simply about a style of worship, you know, to the kind of music we use or the kind of art we prefer. You know, they, it's about living out a life. It's about a relationship with the living God. Yes, people get ready. Welcome to another edition of Come Receive the Light. As uh, we join the long list of commentators, broadcasters, writers, and everyone that uh, has been remembering and paying their respects all this past week to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm Mike Trout, and our host is Father Christopher Metropolis, and our approach uh, during this broadcast will be to reflect on some of the actions of the Orthodox Christian Church uh, during the turbulent decades of the 50s and 60s when so much was going on related to civil rights and to comment on the recent film entitled Selma. It uh, will be a bit of a different broadcast for us, and I hope and pray that as you listen, you'll process the comments made and then share your own thoughts and reactions with us. You can do that by going to our website at myocn.net. You can click on the Listen button there on the home page and then select Come Receive the Light and enter your comments below the link to this particular broadcast. There's a comment button right there. You can also go to our uh, blog page called The Sounding, from the home page again, select Read instead of Listen, and then enter the conversation with bloggers from around the world. It uh, really means a great deal to us to know that you're listening and sharing what you think with us. Again, that website, if you're not already there, is myocn.net. Here's Father Chris. On March 26, 1965, Life magazine published the famous cover of Dr. Martin Luther King holding a memorial wreath surrounded by interfaith leaders from around the United States of America. Today, many Orthodox Christians look at the cover with pride because Archbishop Yakovos of blessed memory is standing next to Dr. King on his right, courageously facing the camera. Fifty years ago, it was a very different story. We've invited His Eminence Metropolitan Savas of Pittsburgh to offer insight regarding this historic event and some thoughts on the new movie, Selma, which is currently in theaters. Welcome, Your Eminence. Good to be with you, Father Chris. As we said, it's 50 years since that famous march in Selma. Dr. Martin Luther King and 4,000 mourners gathered for that memorial for Reverend James Reeb, who was shot during the peaceful demonstration for the civil rights legislation. The Archbishop, as we know, was invited to attend the memorial service as a leader of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese, then of North and South America, and one of the presidents of the World Council of Churches. But I learned, though, that advisors and clergy were begging him to keep away due to the violence. Was his personal safety their only concern, do you think? Well, there, was, there were other civil rights leaders or uh, national church leaders who had responded to uh, Martin Luther King's call to assemble in Selma, and the cameras were rolling. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think safety was the primary concern, mm-hmm. um, although the second march had been, uh, the, 
had been called because the first march had ended in violence. So, yes. you know, there there was an element of violence uh, for sure. But I, I think it was more that many of the uh, Orthodox Christians of his day, the Greek Orthodox Christians, were not in tune with the civil rights movement. You know, you know okay. I I know too that I mean at that point I was twelve years old. I was uh, eight. Okay, so we were in that. We were younger. Uh, I do remember a very nasty divide between the then-called Negroes and the whites. Now we call them African Americans. The N-word, of course, was was very rampant when I was a child. Same. Same, same for you. So it, it definitely was a different world then. And uh, you and I have both seen the movie Selma. And uh, I have to tell you, many, many times during that movie, uh, my eyes welled up and you could say, well, that was fake. Well, I don't think it was very fake. I think a lot of what they depicted was very true. Living as I did in a steel town, in a Midwest steel town in Gary, Indiana, you know, there was a lot of change happening in my neighborhood. I didn't understand the forces at play. I did know that my own neighborhood was changing in its composition. And, you know, the blacks were coming, the Negroes were coming, and, 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 and whites were fleeing. And so there was a lot of fear, you know, that, they, that blacks coming in would bring crime and would reduce property value and, and all that kind of thing. And in my mind, they were moving from other parts of Gary, you know, just that they were coming from their territory into our territory. I hadn't realized until later that what was actually happening was, you know, a kind of national migration Mm -hmm. from the south to the north where the mill towns, where the jobs were, and that the black migration was pretty much replicating the Eastern European migration that had happened just a few decades earlier, or the Appalachian white migration. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you have a place like Gary, you know, a steel mill, it's going to attract, you know, unskilled labor. It's going to attract, you know, those people who are coming over and not afraid of dangerous and dirty jobs and uh, just guys who need the work. And so, you know, Gary in its first layer is like Eastern European, and then in its second layer is... Appalachian white, and then in its third is southern black. And just wave after wave of people came looking for the same jobs. Right. So there's going to be that tension mm-hmm. as well, you know. So, But did you feel that tension, Your Eminence? Um, when I was in elementary school, some of my mm-hmm. best friends were African-American kids. Uh, I didn't, well, I, I didn't I sense remember that, the first African-American kid in my class. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't sense the tension that you know, we, we know existed in the, in the South. I didn't. I was in New York. Of course, I was on Long Island. For us, it would say, well, you know, there's a problem down South. And when we got older, we realized it wasn't just a problem. It was a major issue facing the United States of America. And at the, at the same time as, as our involvement in Vietnam mm-hmm. was a major issue for us. It was part of a really volatile mix of things that were happening all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we were trying to find ways, people were trying to find ways to express, to make their concerns heard by yes. those in power. Mm-hmm. And there, were the t- there was the temptation to do it, you know, violently, and there was the... And, but we had powerful moral leaders like Martin Luther King, who wanted to not exacerbate the problem right. violence. To do something to call positive. call attention to the problem right. in, by, by nonviolent means. 
So, but I think what this the movie does very well is to remind us that the that the, the that within the black community there was no obvious choice of direction that there were, that the black community itself was divided between well, put it simply those who would heed the call of a Malcolm X mm-hmm. you know for whom uh, by all means necessary you know including violent ones right. they, the the country had to come to realize uh, the needs of its of its black people or by the means that were appropriate, you know, holy and, and, and um, morally defensible means that were rec- uh, represented by Dr. King. Let's go to his, um, Martin Luther King's words themselves. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It was clear, as you said in the movie you just mentioned a bit ago, that there was this struggle within the African-American community. They had been brutally, brutally oppressed from slavery on, uh, voting rights, just being a human being and walking down the street. You couldn't go into a restaurant and eat at the same table or the same counter. You had to go to the black section, the whites over there, the same bathrooms, the same even drinking fountains were on. Just you couldn't do that. And yet... Martin Luther King, at least as he's portrayed in Selma, is saying, look, I know how bad it is. And his words were very forceful, especially at the young uh, activist that was shot. He was really forceful in his words at that eulogy that he delivered. But he said, okay, I know that, but violence is not the way. Why was it important for him to say things like that and to lead, you think, in this? Because clearly he was a man, one of his kind in the century. The fact is that these things all sprang from his very deep Christian conviction mm-hmm. and his belief in the power of the cross, you know, that, that it is through the only appropriate victory for a Christian is the, the victory that's already been won by Christ. And the only way to achieve that victory is to uh, stand with him at the cross, you know, mm-hmm. to endure what he endured. Uh, having faith in the power, in his power, to lead us through darkness and death into the kingdom. So I, I really think that it was, you know, it, it, at, at what he was doing was at its deepest level a Christian thing, a very Christian thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those who would. Um, I know we we posted up on the uh, our Facebook page the picture from Life Magazine. And uh, we said that we we're going to be doing a couple of interviews, uh, one with His Eminence Archbishop Demetrius of America and with yourself. And uh, we got some very interesting feedback on Facebook, as you, as you normally do, um, from what is the church doing? Why, why didn't the church stay out of politics? My question to you, and I guess to our listening audience, is aren't there times when the church has to be active, when we see the freedom of individuals being violated, life and death, abortion, the death penalty. I mean, what do we do? Just sit back and, and not make our voice known? I'm not saying go storm the buildings, but no. do, do we just remain silent to be politically correct? Isn't there a time when the church must speak out, do you think? Well, I think the church simply preaches the gospel, and the gospel depending on time and place, will have different political implications. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's about, the, the gospel is not simply about withdrawal into worship. You know, it's about, it's about 
the life in Christ. And and there are principles that were taught us by Christ, you know, that, that we simply have to be true to and we have to enunciate. You know, I mean, if that this whole separation of, of church and state, you know, that's it, that, that that's misunderstood here. I mean, the separation of church and state is a, that you know it's it's a, it's a it's a policy of non-endorsement by the state of any particular religious belief, but that doesn't deprive the church of its responsibility to comment. Uh, to address the the issues of, of 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 the day, I mean, those aren't separate from the life of the church. They're the stuff of the life of the church. I mean, you know, the church is in the world, and it's it's bearing witness in the world, and it has to address the problems of the world. There's just no, uh, there is no option. I I, I I find that a kind of a strange stance to 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 want to impose on the church that it, it has to keep its distance from. The challenges of the hour. Yeah, the challenges of the hour are, are what we're equipped to deal with. What did he say? Martin Luther King said, "The, the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling, appalling silence of the good people." Beautifully said. You know, yeah. there, there's a time when you you have to speak out. I I was speaking with some uh, some people who were telling me that, you know, we have to dress a certain way, we have to walk a certain way, and I said, you know, uh, I'm not so interested in you looking like a saint, like an icon. I'd want to see you live like a saint, and then we'll paint new icons of you. And then one came back to me and said, well, you know, we need to circle the wagons because everything's going bad. I said, well, and so you want to retreat, and you don't want to speak out? I mean, then where is our trust in, in the Lord and Savior? Where is our where is our strength? I don't understand that, that kind of uh, thinking or rhetoric. Can you help us there a little bit? Well, I can't either. I, I can't understand it either. I mean, there... You know, in the early days, the Church, like it or not, was involved in the politics of, of their day because believers were challenged to state their allegiance, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, the Emperor by, you know, a, a simple act of worship, you know, just dropping a couple of grains of incense before an altar, before a, a, a statue of the incarnate God, the Caesar of the day, mm-hmm. you know, the emperor of the day. And they couldn't, there, there wasn't an option for them to say, I'm, I, you know, I'm not political. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have an opinion on this right, matter. Right. There was no option you know? there. No, I mean, really, they had to say, you know, Caesar is not our king. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we follow another king. We have another kingdom. We bear witness to that other kingdom. And that in itself is a, is a kind of a political statement. Mm-hmm. You know, our allegiance lies elsewhere. We're going to live under a different—we're going to consider other rules more binding than those that you come up with if they violate our own sense of justice, as taught to us by our Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've always appealed to that that higher authority whenever we—when we, when, when we, when we are forced to throw off um, an unjust system of government, we appeal to a higher authority, to the king of all. And that's a political gesture too. So, and and you know the, the whole business of civil disobedience, of you know, protesting in front of an abortion clinic, of you know during times of of war, of, of not responding to the call to fight because of conscient, being a conscientious objector. I mean, I'm not saying that's the only stance possible for an Orthodox Christian, but the times impose you know response. I mean, we have to. 
And, and our responses should be informed by our Orthodox Christian beliefs, mm-hmm. you know. The, our Orthodox Christian beliefs are not simply about, a, you know, they're not, they don't simply relate to a style of worship, you know, to the kind of music we use or the kind of art we prefer, mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's about embodying an ethos. It's about, it's about living out a life. It's about a relationship with the living God, and one which is and one which is lifelong, not just a uh, not right. just I mean, a static moment. You don't turn moment. off that relationship, you right. know. When you you don't have, it's not a hat you wear from time to time, or mm-hmm. a dress you wear, or whatever. You know, as many of us have been baptized into Christ, to put on Christ. Right. You know, okay. when you're baptized, you die to yourself, and you're born into a new um, identity. You're born into. You, you are the arms and legs of Christ. You are, you know, the extension. You are part of the, the, the living body, and, and you have to act on your beliefs. Right. Um, your impressions of the movie? My impressions of the movie. I thought it was a very noble work. I thought it was very uh, remarkable, and I, I, I warmly recommend it. Uh, I think that the movie does a... a really wonderful job of keeping our attention focused on the, a particular event. I mean, you know, the, the events uh, relating to Selma and the, the Voting Rights Act. And it doesn't um, try to cram in too much, you know, it doesn't use a lot of flashback. It doesn't use any flashback to account for, you know, how Martin Luther King got here or anything like that. It's really, and, and it doesn't, the focus on Martin Luther King doesn't preclude um, the uh, involvement of other uh, black leaders. I mean, it, it, you know, he is the the leader of leaders, as it were. But there are other leaders with powerful voices, and you know, it's it's a good thing that it shows that these decisions come out of discussion, and 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 mm-hmm. uh, they're not imposed so much by by Martin Luther King, but they were reached by a consensus of the people involved, and. You know, there's the criticism has been made of, of uh, the portrayal of LBJ, of Lyndon Baines Johnson, because he was, in fact, you know, very much in support of civil rights, and, you know, uh, he, he pushed through that uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964. But in the movie, for I guess for the purposes of drama, in order to kind of accentuate, you know, to, to make uh, even more kind of profound Martin Luther King's achievement, uh, they cast Johnson as a kind of a, an antagonist. And there's historical, I mean, you know, it's grounded in, in fact. It wasn't, uh, Johnson didn't think it politically expedient to take on the Southern governors mm-hmm. and at that particular moment. You know, he wanted to uh, put more attention on his war on poverty, and he asked uh, Dr. King to be patient for a couple of years, and then he would turn to the voting rights matter. But by the end of the movie, I think LBJ comes off uh, looking very strong, very much fully in support of, of the Voting Rights uh, Act. So I thought that was laudable, ultimately laudable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the, the, the complexity of the man, you know, that the, 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 the screenplay, the director, the, it didn't shy away from what we now know about um, Dr. King's moral lapses, but found a dignified way to include that in the script, and and you know to add a kind of uh, 
uh, you know, depth and shading to, to mm-hmm. his, his character. Yeah. You know, there's also the challenge that, you know, the, 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 the King family um, did not allow uh, the director to use his actual words so in, in his speeches. So there's the challenge of paraphrasing, mm-hmm. uh, often speeches that we know very well, and even uh, a lot of the music associated with the movement was not available to them because of the exorbitant costs of the of the rights. So you, a, a lot of the you don't hear the songs that you expect to hear on the when they're marching across the bridge. So given those you know pretty serious impediments, I think that the uh, director um, and and all, all everyone involved really managed a, a really some made something glorious in spite of the, those limitations. It's certainly at least as necessary now as it was then. No, I think so, too, in the light of what's been happening in our country, too. As I, I, I'm recalling the movie myself, thinking about the different parts, the uh, I was moved the way um, Martin Luther King went up to the president and went toe-to-toe with him on, on many occasions mm-hmm. and didn't back down. And the president actually at times backed away, and he said, hmm, you know, let me let me think about that. And Martin Luther King was very clear that one of the things that was very important is that the memories of those four children at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, which were Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Denise McNair, uh, that their memory and their lives would not go for, and their death would not go for naught. So it really was a very moving, uh, I mean, that, of, of course, is the scene that opens the, the movie. Sorry to, to burst the bubble of those who haven't seen it yet, but uh, I, too, would encourage people to go see it. Um, finally, Your Eminence, my one last reflection would be that I agree with you wholeheartedly that these decisions were uh, deliberated. They, they talked together about how things would happen. And what I saw was a different side of Martin Luther King that I didn't realize, that since he was a man of Scripture, a learned man of Scripture, uh, he followed what John said. He must become less so that the Lord or Christ would become greater. Uh, that's how I saw it. I, and just a final word from you, and then we'll let you go, Yermans. Well, there's a very moving moment in, early on in the uh, film in which uh, Dr. King waits for his wife, Coretta, to leave the room to take the kids to put them to bed, and then he picks up the phone and he calls a woman. And, you know, those of us who have been following the development uh, since Dr. King's death and know that there were uh, issues of infidelity that uh, are, you know, have been raised that for some cloud his memory, I was fearful that this was going to be an, an you know, this is going to be one such thing that he's calling a girlfriend. Uh, in, in fact, he was calling his friend Mahalia Jackson and telling her of his spiritual need and she sang a hymn for Martin Precious Lord and that was just a a really profound moment you know that grounded the character you know the man in in his mission you know that what he's doing is not you know just responding to a political problem of the moment but that he's what he's doing is is trying to live out the gospel. Yeah, he said, I need to hear the word of the Lord, right? Isn't you that what he said? the word of the Lord. Yeah, yes, that's what he exactly. said. That's exactly yeah. what he said. Yeah. Your Eminence, uh, thank you so much. Be well, Father. With your prayers. With your prayers.
Gospel singer Mahalia Jackson. She sang that song at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, memorial service in April of 1968. Precious Lord, take my hand. You've been listening to another weekly edition of Come Receive the Light from the Orthodox Christian Network. I'm Mike Trout, and our host is Father Christopher Metropolis. You can find us on the web at myocn.net. We're a nonprofit outreach and we depend upon your prayer support and your financial support to keep us going. You underwrite all that we do here at the Orthodox Christian Network. If you haven't checked us out on the web, please do so. You'll find all of these broadcasts, our extensive archive, can be accessed through the website at myocn.net, and you'll also find our videos and our blog page called The Sounding. There's also an audio conversation between Father Chris and Archbishop Demetrius as they both reflect on the march in Selma. Father Chris referred to the cover of Life magazine when His Eminence Archbishop Yakovos was standing boldly next to Dr. King. You can listen to that conversation as well when you go to the website. That's myocn.net. Do uh, let your friends know about the broadcast. Encourage them to uh, join us as well. And remember to always have faith in what you listen to.